understand and falling short of the glory of God. We have all rejected Him. We have all resisted God. We have all fought against Him. We have all refused to hear His voice. We have all hidden ourselves from His judgment. And because of that, we have all been charged and found guilty as charged before a holy God. And those of us that have already answered this call now are charged to become what? Fishers of men. The gospel of Jesus Christ recognizes this guilt. And God has an immediate cure for our troubling and tragic sin problem. That cure is if we will accept His Son Christ Jesus in faith as our Savior and Lord, then for those of us who call on the name of the Lord Jesus, we will be saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ requires such a response, and it must. This response must result in a complete commitment, complete commitment to the boundaries of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. This commitment must be made willingly. It must be made voluntarily. It must be a surrender which will accept the accountability that we have to God the Father by faith in God the Son and driven and powered by God the Holy Spirit. So there is the gospel of Jesus Christ in a nutshell. And it deals with four things. God, mankind, Christ, and response. Repeat those after me. God, God mankind, mankind, Christ, Christ and, response. and response. This gospel must be pursued in the immediacy of the moment. When he calls your name, you need to drop everything you do and follow him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed that death could not hold down your son, Christ Jesus. And because he is risen, then we too will have that once great getting up morning. Because death has no authority over us anymore. When we accept your son, Jesus Christ, we enter into eternal life. Now, Lord, let us understand this scripture and let us respond appropriately to the immediacy of the gospel. It is in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. And all God's children say amen. amen. In this passage this morning, there are three, I think, key elements that we're going to try to look at to make sure we understand the immediacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, we're going to talk about the immediacy of the call when he initiates, it's God that initiates. Then it's the immediacy of the charge. And then when he calls us, he calls us and gives us something to do. Amen. And then there's the immediacy of our commitment. If God has called you, if he's given you a purpose, then you need to commit everything and be abounding in that purpose in all of your life. So, Pastor, what is this call? Well, let's look again at Matthew 4, 18 through 19. Really centered around 18. 
While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I think it's clearly seen and it's convincingly implied that the call is to follow me. But what does it mean to truly follow Christ? We see all through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus continually issues this proclamation to follow me. In many cases, he's speaking specifically to the 12 people who are his disciples. But then there are many, many other times that he's speaking to anyone who wanted what he had to offer. But at those times, and in the times that he was speaking directly to his disciples, they both had an immediacy of the moment that we have to react to. There was always a general call, but then also an effectual call. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Mark 8, 34. And calling to the crowd and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 10, 34-39, Jesus restates clearly what it means to follow him. He says this, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against a mother, a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. When Jesus says he's bringing the sword, he's bringing the sword of truth. It's his word. And when you bring the sword of truth, it's going to divide people, even family members, against one another. And those words might seem harsh, especially after we... Read 3.16, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but Jesus never softened the truth. And he understands that the truth will always have people make difficult choices. You know, the truth will sometimes mean that you have to turn your back on a lifestyle or a desire that seems very appealing to you. The truth sometimes will have you even turn your back on relationships and even confront relatives with the truth of the Word of God if you believe that it is true. You know, Jesus goes from teaching the Beatitudes to the cross. And during that time, many people stopped following him 
Even disciples decided that following Jesus was what? In the Garden of Gethsemane. Too difficult. They ran away because they were worried about being arrested. Each one deserted him. And on the following night, they recognized that he had been arrested. And even Peter, versus risking his own life, determined and denied Jesus three times. So true believers follow Christ and they recognize that Christ has become everything to them. In fact, they are able to say with Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That great 20th century theologian, Bob Dylan, once said, everybody has to serve somebody. Everybody has to serve and follow somebody. You're going to follow friends. You're going to follow this popular culture. You're going to follow family members. You're going to follow your own selfish desires. You're going to follow something. But the Bible says that we should follow God and have no other gods before him. Exodus 20, 3 through 5. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. To truly follow Christ means that we don't follow anything else. Amen. Luke 9, 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up the cross daily and follow me. If you're going to trust Jesus, there's not a day that you're going to be without your cross. There's no such thing as a halfway disciple. You're either in or you're out. As the disciples demonstrated through the fragility of their own life that no one can follow Christ through their own strength and willpower. We see explicitly in the scriptures the Pharisees were good examples of those who were trying to obey God in their own strength. Their self-esteem or self-effort led them only to more arrogance and distortion of the whole purpose of God's law. Jesus gave his disciples the secret to faithfully following him. And what was it? He said in John 6, 63, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. And then he follows that up in 65. This is why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Disciples who had walked with Jesus for three years, learning, observing, participating in all of his miracles. Yet, when the time came, when the rubber met the road, and their faithfulness was only in their own strength, they did what? They needed a helper. And we need the same helper as well, which is God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus had promised them that he would ascend and he would send a helper to them, 
the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, he will what? Bear witness about me. In fact, Jesus told him, it's better that I go away. If, it does, if I do, the Holy Spirit comes. Because you see, the Holy Spirit dwells in the heart of every believer. And if you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Amen. John 1, 32-33. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So if you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit, or just in Jesus' name, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not a separate act. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you have power, and we're not to try to serve the Holy Spirit in our own strength. Jesus warned his followers about testifying about him until they had been clothed from on high with the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit first came upon believers at Pentecost, you see that they suddenly had the power and did all they needed to do to follow Christ even unto death. These same people who ran away from him didn't show up. You know, there's only one disciple that showed up in the crucifixion. Who was it? John. Where were the other 11? Following Jesus means striving to be like him. He always obeyed his father, and that's what we should strive to do. We must always understand that Jesus, the one who sends us, is always with us. He has not left us alone, and he's always challenging us to do things that will please him and the Father. If we truly follow Christ, we'll make him boss of our lives. We'll make him Lord of our lives. Second Corinthians 4, 5. For we, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. So what does that mean, Pastor? That means in every decision, in every dream, it is to be filtered through God's Word with the goal of glorifying Him in everything that we do. We are not saved by things, but we're saved by the things that Christ has already done. Amen. Elder Keller told you last week in Ephesians, 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But because of all that God has done for us, because of His grace, we want to please Him in everything. This is accomplished so that we, when we allow the Holy Spirit to have complete control over our lives. 
It is Christ who explains the scriptures to us. It is Christ who empowers us with spiritual gifts. It is Christ who comforts us. And it is Christ who guides us. To follow Christ means to apply the truths that we have learned in his word and to live as if Jesus is walking right beside us. So, Pastor, what is the charge? Well, I think you see the charge clearly in verse 19. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So the charge of becoming fishers of men. But what does it mean to become fishers of men? This phrase was spoken over and over by Jesus, speaking to his disciples. The idea behind fishing is to know the fish that you are looking for and what attracts that type of fish so that you can make the catch. To catch a fish, we must know what equipment to use. We must know the habitat of the fish. We must know the depth of the water. We must know the kind of bait that fish will go out with. And after we understand everything we need to know about real fishing, how do we relate all of that to becoming fishers of men? Well, God calls us to make disciples of all nations. And I think he explains to us the equipment that we're going to need in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. Amen. You see, before we go in this fishing exposition, we need to make sure that we at least have two of these elements. We need them all. But there are two that I think rise. And that's the shield of faith. Because we need something that's going to ward off the demonic forces that will attack you because Satan don't, doesn't want to see men saved by the gospel. That's right. And then there's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You have to have this spiritual equipment when you are fishing for men. Let me tell you something. Sometimes even I can get caught up in the fact that you can make a reasoned argument to people about why they should believe in Jesus. But a reasoned argument 
is not necessarily recognized by a soul that has been darkened? What does it tell us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4? It said that the God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So regardless of how I think I have all my points together and how I have a, an apologetic answer to every claim that they can make, I have to rely on the gospel being given out. And I have to rely on prayer and the wisdom to understand that prayer is essential. You have in your bulletins this morning this booklet which goes along with our proclamation to everyone to reach one. And if you turn to page one here, it starts off by giving you the scripture to build a foundation on for that particular day. This is like a 30-day prayer guide. And it says, Jesus told them, I am the way to truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But then, right out of this, you have a prayer. And this is what you're to do every day as you're praying for the one you leave to Christ. God, I know there is only one way to salvation. Jesus is clear. He is the only hope for a lost and dying world. And that includes, in my voice, his name is Dustin. That includes Dustin's salvation. Depends on acknowledging Jesus is who he says he is. And he alone is the source of salvation. Use the people and circumstances in Dustin's life today, O oh Lord, to bring him to the reality of Jesus. Give me the courage and the boldness to call Dustin to faith in Christ Jesus when the opportunity arises and help me to make it clear that there's no other way to be saved. Yeah. And then right next to that, you have a place where you journal, right? And you deal with those difficulties that you have leading this person to Christ or those praise reports of how they have responded. Because there is only one effective net. And that net is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We heard a couple of weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, to those who are perishing, the message of the cross is foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. Amen. The gospel message is the only message that has the power to change lives, to shine light into darkness, to deliver people from evil, from hell, into the precious presence of God. There is no other power, in no other name, in no other message, in no other net that can catch men and women for Christ. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Qualified. Who believes. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. This was Jesus' message to Peter and Andrew. Hey, follow me. Learn of me. Understand my message. Understand my message. Only then are you going to be able to be fishers of men. This was their one and only charge. Which leads us to the commitment. 
So what is the commitment? Look at Matthew 4, 22-22. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to have to leave your boat. You're going to have to leave whatever you continue, you continually believe is your only source of supply and rely on him as your source of comply. Otherwise, there's no commitment. And you have to do it immediately. They were there repairing their nets while they could continue their livelihood. But he asked them, and look how specific he was, he asked the two brothers, James and John, and left the father. So they had to leave their livelihood and leave their father and follow him. So what does the Bible teach us about commitment? I think there's numerous, numerous references to the commitment in the Christian Bible. I think Ephesians 6, 5 through 8 says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, and not to man. Knowing whatever good anyone does, this you will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or free. But the Bible also teaches that the chief commitment of our lives is God to God Himself. Matthew 22, 37 to 38. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first, the rather the great and first commandment. So what is Jesus telling us? He is saying with every fiber of our body, with every facet of our life, it must be committed to serving God. We cannot serve God, hear this, and hold anything back. Romans 8, 31 to 32, clear. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now listen to 32. He who did not spare his own son. So personal pronoun refers to God. God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He clearly said, if God is willing to give us Jesus, what in the heck would he ever hold back? Amen. He gave us his most precious gift. 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? He left. It is God who justifies. No, you're going you're gonna to see opposition and you're going to have negative doomsayers in your life that will confront you, but 
it won't pass muster. They will never get an indictment in heaven. Amen. Because it is God who justifies. Amen. It is God who has made us innocent before himself. You know, I tell people all the time, hey, everybody's got a past. As long as you don't live it. Furthermore, Jesus tells us our commitment to him must supersede our commitment even to our family. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot my, be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come out to me cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 26 to 27. And again, the hatred here, he's saying that your level of love for your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, whomever, even for yourself, has to pale in comparison to your love for me. It's what he's saying. His commitment demands all of us. The bottom line here is those who cannot commit this kind of commitment cannot be a true disciple of Christ. Because you're not going to advance, there's a great cause, a cost for commitment. Remember what he says in John 15 and 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. John 15 and 20. And yet again in 2 Timothy 3.12, it tells us, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, I think sometimes we read Scripture in a way that's just wrote. I mean, we, we read it, we gloss over it, but we don't ever really try to understand it or under the, understand the depth that it is offering us. I mean, when you read a scripture like this, doesn't it tell you? Joshua 24, 14 through 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in with a servant in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the God, small g, that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the God, small g, of your fathers, that your father served in the regions beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Yes. Doesn't that tell you there's going to be a rivalry for your affection, for your love, for your loyalty, that there has to be a distinctive dividing line? I don't care what they're doing, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you, if you don't understand it, you're not reading. Reading requires comprehension. You are not 
reading if you don't understand it. It's just a word salad. And it, a word salad will not feed you. Only understanding has the ability to feed your soul, to transfer, uh, transform your life. Jesus made it plain the cost of discipleship. If anyone will come up to me, let him deny himself and take his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In essence, the true cost of commitment to Christ is one's total, complete self-denial and a continuation of following Him. Yes. These imperatives show themselves as sacrifice, selfishness, ness, and service. And it's a path that's going to be epitomized by punishment and humiliation at times. But the key is are you going to believe what is said in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. Amen. Amen. Total commitment. Philippians 1.21 for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, Pastor, is there a payoff that I can immediately expect if I answer the call of the gospel, the immediate call of the gospel, the immediate charge of the gospel to become fishers of men, and the immediate commitment of the gospel that Jesus Christ requires? Yes, there's an immediate payoff. It's called eternal life. And eternal life starts the moment you accept Jesus Christ in this life. Amen. The Bible presents a clear path to eternal life. First, we must recognize that there is a God and that we have sinned against that God. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.28. We've all done things that are displeasing to God. We've all done things that we deserve God's punishment. Secondly, we must recognize as mankind, as, as humanity, that we've all sinned. And since our sins are ultimately against an eternal God, then eternal punishment is what we deserve because the wages of sin are death and the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 23. Thirdly, we must receive Christ Jesus as the eternal Son of God, the one that became the God-man who died to pay our penalty. God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us, Romans 5 and 8. We must understand that this death on the cross takes away the punishment that we deserve and that this Christ who died on the cross three days later rose again from the dead and provided victory over sin and death in his great mercy. He has given us new birth and to a living hope and to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And lastly, we must all respond by faith. We must change our mindset regarding who Christ is and why he died. We must place our faith in him. We must trust him and trust that his death on the cross was sufficient. 
we must believe that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We must believe if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. Faith alone is the finished work of Christ on the cross. It is the only true path to eternal life. For by grace we have been saved, not through works, so that no one can boast. Isn't it amazing that we're ending up just where we started out this morning, understanding that it's all about God, mankind, Christ and his response. Yes. So as you are praying for that one that God put in your heart to lead to Christ, <clears throat> you want to remind them as they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior that no prayer saves a person, but it's entrusting in Christ that they are saved from sin. But a prayer is a simple way of expressing their faith in God and thanking Him for providing salvation. Share something like this, God, I know that I have sinned against you and deserve punishment. But Jesus Christ took the punishment for me that I deserve and now through His faith I can be forgiven and I have placed my trust in both you and Christ for my salvation. In the simplicity of those words are great substance and will lead us to a greater realization of the immediacy of the gospel and the truth of God's word. Let us pray. There and Father, we just love you and praise you for all that you're doing. We just ask you to continue to build us up on every leaning side to take away any hesitation we have in sharing the gospel. And Lord, we ask you <clears throat> to give us unbridled commitment to you and to the things that you represent. That we have an obligation and you have ownership of all things. So let us continue to trust you with every portion of our life. Let, let us not doubt you. Let us always be present in your house. Let us always be part of the provision for your house. Let us recognize that the earth is yours, O Lord, and the fullness thereof. And what a great sacrifice you have made by giving us your only begotten Son that we might once again taste the tree of life. It is in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ask it all, in all of us truly say amen. Amen.